The following is a message by Dr. Peter Jones from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Well, let's uh, begin. Would you turn to the Psalm uh, 8 in your Bibles, and I will read it. Psalm 8. Please give attention to the public reading of God's inspired word. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas." O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let us pray. O Father, we come to you hungry to hear truth, and we thank you that we find it in the scriptures, and we pray that this meditation on this psalm will feed our souls and uplift our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I've given this uh, meditation on Psalm 8 a title, From Natural Law to New Creation. When Yuri Gagarin, this dates me a little bit, in the 60s, a Soviet cosmonaut declared with atheistic triumph that there was no God in space. This is the first time they'd shot up uh, a cosmonaut. He only showed the massive ignorance of so many about the nature of the God of Scripture. This psalm, it seems to me, is unique, perhaps, in focusing almost entirely on the issues of natural law. For those who just come in, this is Psalm 8. And the character of God, the Creator, There's no explicit mention of soteriology, of God's great acts of redemption, not a word of retributive justice that you find everywhere in the next psalm, Psalm 9. And the literary structure leaves no doubt. If you notice, it begins in verse 1 and ends in verse 9 with the same declaration. O Lord, our Lord, How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. This uh, thematic, chiastic structure at the beginning and the end evoke two essential things about God. The first one is God's name and character is written on creation. 
your name in all the earth. Notice that preposition. But second, that God's essential being is ontologically transcendent above the earth. Your glory is above the heavens. So this psalm is a profound statement of what I simplistically call twoism, or the reality of the creator-creature distinction. It presents creation as a created being reflecting the character of God as its creator and sustainer, but also presents God in his essential being as beyond the creation, indeed as other relative to the creation. And I'm so convinced that this message must be spoken clearly in our time, a time that is going headlong into what I call pagan oneism, which collapses the creator and the creature into a spiritual mush. And of course, really eliminates the biblical understanding of God. I'd like you to pray, by the way, for the conference that I have been able to organize in June, specifically on this subject. And uh, if you know folks that need to be strengthened in this way of thinking, this is the whole reason why we're doing this conference in June 17th and 18th at the Ruck. Well, anyway... I believe this must be our message, as it was, by the way, the message of Paul. In the pagan Roman Empire, he speaks of God's eternal power and divine nature, that is, his transcendence above the creation, but that transcendence is reflected in the things that have been made. The same uh, notion as in this psalm. Well, let's look at those two things. I'm flipping them for a good reason in terms of the way the psalm presents them. First of all, God's essential being as transcendent. You have set your glory above the heavens. J.B. Phillips once wrote a bestseller entitled, Your God is Too Small. And I'm constantly meeting people for whom that is sadly very true. For them, God is really a sort of unpredictable Santa Claus in the sky with whom we can argue and uh, we can find his ideas unsatisfying relative to our unfailing human logic and notions of justice. Really a subordinate clause in our discourse. Did you get that joke, anybody? Good. Hollywood knows best. Lion King as the divine within the circle of life. As Rafiki sits there in touch, you know, with everything. But the Bible knows better since Isaiah 40, 22 says, it is he who sits above, same preposition, al. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. How important it is to teach this to our kids who indeed are, You know, hearing day after day this Hollywood message of oneism. This is why the grasshopper Gagarin saw no evidence of God in the sky because God is above the created order. Indeed, the Bible never puts God on our created level, whether it's in our thinking 
Isaiah 55, 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Nor does the Bible ever put God on our physical context. We are grasshoppers. God is exalted above the earth, the heavens, says Psalm 57, 5. One of our wonderful founders, J. Gresham Machen, understood this as he fought a form of evangelicalism that he really saw as radical liberalism in his book, Christianity and Liberalism, in 1923. He says, the truth is that liberalism has lost sight of the very center and core of Christian teaching, the awful transcendence of God. This, you see, is behind the notion of God's holiness, about which we often sing and speak. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness means that holiness has a notion of rightful place. God is set apart in his rightful place, which is transcendent above the heavens. And so God is holy in that sense, just as we have holy places assigned to us by God, but God himself is holy in that sense. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens and the earth. This is the basis, of course, of biblical spirituality, the essence of God's glory, his weightiness, what makes him the true God of utter mystery and thus worship, is his transcendence. If I could figure out God, I wouldn't be here today preaching to you. I'd be doing something a lot more interesting. But I cannot fathom the depth and the mystery of the God of Scripture. And that's what keeps me worshiping. That's what keeps my interest. That's what claims my worship is this incredible notion of God that you only find in the Bible. How important it is to not lose this message in a time of oneism. I will meditate, says the psalmist, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. What do the pagans do with this kind of material? Well, unfortunately, even Israel was tempted, right, in the Ten Commandments. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heavens above or the earth beneath. How on earth could they be tempted to worship something of a created nature when they had this notion of God as the very basis of their faith? That notion of God is reflected in the idolatry of Babel. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. The ziggurat does not go high enough, folks, and it never will. But you know, this temptation to reduce God down to our level is everywhere around us. You have a sort of a Christian Baalism. John Shelby Spong, the uh, 
Bishop of Newark, ex-Bishop of Newark, says, God is not an external supernatural being ruling over humanity. God is rather the power of love which flows through each one of us, the source of life, of love, the ground of being, but life has taught us that theism is dead. This is not liberalism, folks. This is rank paganism. Of course, you get pure Baalism today in people who call themselves spiritual evolutionists. Here's uh, one, Alan Sasha Lithman says, how is it possible for a divine creator to ultimately create something other than or outside of itself from nothing? It is far more likely that this split arrangement, God there, mundane world here, simply reflects, describes, and projects our own present schizophrenia. Isn't that interesting? Christians are schizophrenic for holding to the creator-creature distinction. For if there is a divine being, then there is only one divine, and what we call matter is the body of God. You see, God is wrapped up with us in the whole of this oneistic uh, soup. Well, that's the vision, the picture of God as above the heavens. It's a magnificent understanding of God that you find nowhere else but in Scripture. But, of course, God's name as the Creator, as the Transcendent Lord, is written in the creation as well. Your name in all the earth, both in the nonverbal and in the verbal in the nonverbal, babes and infants, the heavens, the moon, and the stars, God is reflected as its maker. The simple intuitive faith of infants. How many five-year-old atheists do you know? Witness to the true character of a created, fully formed, and ordered cosmos. Babies do not question the order of the universe into which they are born without their permission, but in their naive acceptance of life declare the nature of God as the transcendent creator. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavenly bodies, by their precise rules and functions set in place by God, not by chance, declare the glory of the creator. John Lennox, in a very fine book you should all read, he's um, one of the leading mathematicians in Oxford today, uh, but is a fine reformed believer. God's undertaker observes that the properties of the universe appear to have been precisely tuned for life. He goes on with the deep conviction that the universe is orderly. Science, without that, science would be impossible. What is the pagan reaction to the heavenly bodies? Well, you know, in ancient paganism, the apostate worship of the sun and the moon was grafted onto some kind of personification of idol worship where Baal was the sun god and Ashtoreth the moon goddess. These options, though they seem somewhat primitive, are alive and well 
today. I recommend the reading of what I like to call the pagan Van Til of uh, our time, Richard Tarnas, uh, The Passion of the Western Mind, but in particular, another book that I bought by him, Cosmos and Psyche. In this book, <laughs> the first book, he's more Vantillian in the sense of he understands the presuppositions of philosophy, and he's read, by the way, in all the philosophy departments of America, but a thoroughly committed pagan. In this second book, which is a massive tome of 600 pages, he actually enters into a thoroughgoing academic defense of Babylonian astrology, the stars. Here's what he says. We are living in one of those rare ages, like the end of classical antiquity or the beginning of the modern era, that bring forth a genuinely fundamental formation, transformation in the underlying assumptions and principles of the cultural world. Something is dying, he says, and something is being born. Recently, there have been emerging from the deconstructive flux of the postmodern mind the tentative outlines of a new understanding of reality. From the ruins of postmodernism, he says, is arriving a new meta-narrative. What is it? This meta-narrative actually is a new outlook uh, based on involvement with the great mystical traditions and practices of Asia, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, and Sufism, the diverse indigenous and shamanic cultures of native North America, and the recovery of various Gnostic and esoteric practices, in particular, ancient Babylonian astrology. You see, this is how, after the deconstruction of postmodernism, these intellectuals are reconfiguring, reconstructing our world. It's no longer on the basis of theism as it was in the past. Now it's being constructed on a basis of pagan oneism. That's the challenge for us today. And that will be the challenge of you in your ministries in the days ahead. You need to be aware of this. You need to understand it better than these pagans do. This is the world where Psalm 8 needs to be preached and witnessed to, you see. That's why it's given. It was given in a world that was tending towards this kind of belief system. And now we find ourselves in that world up to our necks. Well, the uh, other side, the verbal expression of God's character, of course, we find in man who's been made a little lower than the heavenly beings, but crowned with glory and honor. The unexplainable miracle of the human being shows a certain kind of transcendence relative to the rest of the creation by being created in God's image. Man's intelligent oversight and care of the garden and the naming of the animals reflects in some important ways the providential and personal rule of God from which derives, obviously, human dignity. But that notion of human dignity 
that notion of dominion over the created world in paganism is lost. And the whole notion, therefore, of human rights is under threat. Paul says this about the world of his day in Romans 1.23. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Romans 1.23. This is an exchanging Genesis 1.27 and Psalm 8 for something that actually does not maintain man's dignity, but actually places him sometimes even below the animals. I have an example of this. In uh, what we call uh, neo-Jungian transpersonalism, which is the cutting edge of psychology today, and I've read a number of these books and heard these people speak, we read this by one of the leading proponents of this kind of thinking, showing you, showing us to what extent human beings are placed under the thrall of nature understood as divine. In our workshops, modern Americans, Europeans, Australians, and Asians have experienced shamanic, shamanic crises, connections with animals, plants, and elemental forces of nature. Was Paul ever more precise in his description of what happens when you begin to worship nature? You actually are in thrall to those beings within nature. This shamanic new man, this Nietzschean homosexual ubermensch, it is hoped will save us. Well, what will save me? It's already 23 minutes past. I have one more point. Do I have time? Or should we just stop here? All right. I have the permission of the professor of Old Testament. If you need to leave, get up and go. You see, we do have, in this psalm, actually, which, as I said, is um, really devoted so much to natural theology, some implicit eschatology. Eschatology in Eden, you find it implied in the end of the probation, in God's final resting, and in the tree of life as the ultimate reward, as Meredith Klein argued, and as Voss says, eschatology precedes soteriology. That's a wonderful Reformed tradition. And this picture then you see of man in this perfect situation is not the last word that God will pronounce. Because, of course, the psalm itself indicates with the reference to the foe and the avenger that all is not well. Somehow this wonderful position of dominion and dignity and glory has become the occasion of human hubris somewhat like what happened prior to that in the case of Lucifer. How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? Yes, Adam fell for this temptation. With all his wisdom, the great ruler Solomon failed too, and we have all failed. The psalmist says, there is none who does good, but he does know 
from afar that God is preparing a new man appointed by God, my king set on Zion, my son, the king of glory who enters Zion not with sin but with clean hands and a pure heart. You know, I find this eschatology uh, not so much by digging into the psalm as in a sermon by the Holy Spirit. And I'm in touch with this kind of revelation. Because it was the Holy Spirit that inspired the writer to the Hebrews to do an exegesis of Psalm 8. (laughs) Jesus, says Hebrews, is the fulfillment of the man in Psalm 8. Isn't that wonderful? Who, even in this present state of the fall, maintained dominion and obedience that God had required of Adam. What is man, he says, you've made him a little of the angels. The author finds the fulfillment of that in Jesus. And in the light of the fall for effective salvation, he argues that we need the atoning sacrifice of the one who has all things in submission to himself. That is Jesus, God and man. Taking on Adamic flesh was the only way for the the creator to save the creation. For it was fitting, says Hebrews, that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. But of course, forensic Soteriology is not the only thing we say about redemption, for there is that perspective also of the new creation. That which we at present do not see, says Hebrews, namely the Son having dominion over everything, one day we will see. And this is affirmed by another inspired writer, Paul, who applies this same Psalm 8 to Jesus. He subjected all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things for the church. In that restored, transformed, and holy cosmos where Psalm 8 will be definitively fulfilled, everything will be in its right place. And that's the reason why you see in Revelation you read that the elders are not simply worshiping God as the Redeemer, but as the Creator. Revelation 4.10 says, Worthy are you, O Lord, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. But of course, we will be worshiping the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Sing also the elders and the myriads of angels who were slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might. It's quite amazing to me how realistic And yet optimistic the Bible's view of life is how spirituality and materiality are conjoined in an amazing harmony, how the old and the new teach the same vision of God as both creator and redeemer. This is not so in Gnosticism's ancient and modern. Do you know what they do? They try to use spirituality to eliminate the notion of good materiality. Ancient Gnostics rejected the flesh and in particular exhorted their women folk to flee maternity. 
Whereas Paul said that in childbirth there was salvation. Contemporary radical feminists with the same vision affirm that biology is not destiny. And that statement of pure spirituality is propped up by the holocaust of abortion, though it doesn't stop the biological clock from ticking. Homosexuals, via the man-made ideology of rights and freedoms, seek to normalize the unnatural and make perversion an essential quote, strengthening of the fabric of the new American society. Do you know who I'm citing? President Obama. In his proclamation of June as lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender month. Strengthening the fabric of American society. Hinduism argues that the material is Maya illusion. Buddhism seeks complete dissociation from the material. Do you see how these notions of spirituality seek to eliminate the physical? Whereas the physical is here to witness to who God is as the creator. I got to end here. Uh, and I will, because it's 10.30. May you do what the author to the Hebrews exhorted Christians to do, even if we are going towards a new city of this world that could even be a pansexual pagan police state, somewhat like the state in which the original readers of the Hebrews who were being executed for their faith were living in, when he said, let us look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We look, he says, forward to that city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God, and to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Copyright 2009, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.